It's a sled. He's dead. The box contains his wife's head. Vedas, his father, they're allergic to water. She's her sister and her daughter. You watched it from. Is it gone? Is it dead? I got it. You got it. Siggy was almost attacked by a giant. Um, um, oh, I will call this a bug. I know we got into the argument about this before, but what constitutes a bug and what doesn't? This is a bug. Yeah, there are. Um, well, I've always thought bug was just an informal term, I, yeah. and that it just meant any kind of creepy crawly. But then I have since learned that there is a like scientific class of the true bugs. Oh yeah. And like bed bugs belong to the true bug family and those are all insects. So oh. I I stand corrected. There is a, actually a scientific basis for the term bug. I didn't think there was ever at all, but there totally is. You see cuz I was going to apologize and say I looked it up and saw that arachnids were considered bugs too. And so I thought, okay, yeah, that's that's I that was my own definition I made up for myself. But really, well, no, but they're but not all. So you can either say bugs are just creepy crawlies or things that bug you mm-hmm. or you could say they are the true bugs, the scientific term, but then not all insects are bugs. So it's only. like the rhombus is a rectangle but rectangles are rhombus. Yeah, it's like a there's bugs, there's beetles, there's bees, um, you know. Oh, this, by the way, uh, the, welcome to You Watched It Wrong. This is Wade. Uh, we were talking about, uh, this all came up on, I believe, one of the other intonation games, right? Or, or the, one of the other games we played where I was talking about Jimmy Buffett's song for arachnophobia, which was Don't Bug Me, a song I actually like a lot, but I hate the fact that it's called Don't Bug Me when it's about spiders. And that's how we got into that, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I agreed with Jimmy Buffett. (laughs) Well, these things will happen occasionally. I, too, like sunshine. Yes, yes. I have, in in my day, blown out a flip-flop or two. (laughs) I've never lost any salt. Anywho. So, hi, this is Wade. Uh, welcome this is to you. Siggy. Okay. Oh, that no, was, no, no, no. You ah, go right ahead. No, 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 no. I, the, I signaled our typical intro, and you took, yeah. you took it, and I kept and going. And you even like raised your hand at me. I thought, I thought that was like a physical. It's like, that's it, right? No. Yeah. yeah. Whoops. Now go ahead. Who are you again? I'm Siggy, <laughs> and you're listening to You Watched It Wrong, the podcast where we, or in this case, Wade, picks a movie, and we talk about it till death, until it's all picked over and nice and picked apart that's right and this also is, dead i have been looking forward to this episode for a long time this is uh today's selection is a lot like um for me it's a little movie that i really want people to know about and uh like uh, like never going back from a few episodes back this is fits that same caliber for me of like a little movie that didn't get a lot any attention really um at all and uh i think it deserves it so this movie is, is uh, from 2018 uh, called The Oath, starring Ike Barinholtz and Tiffany Haddish, Carrie Brownstein, and Nora Dunn, Billy Magnuson, John Cho, and um, others, uh, and written and directed by Ike Barinholtz. Again, as we've always said, 
please well, watch these movies first uh, before you continue the show. Uh, the Oath is available for streaming on Hulu and I believe Canopy, and it's available to be bought several other places. Before we get into that, let's go to uh, our uh, new staple feature. <laughs> uh, do a quick two rounds, or one round really, of track marks. So here's how we play track marks, if you're, uh, if you're unfamiliar. Real quick, referring to a soundtrack's track names listed on the back of, like, say, a CD, if, you, if you're nasty. Um, and not the songs, but the musical score written for the movie. So we're going to read pre-selected and ordered in whatever way we see fit. <laughs> we're going to read those names out. And for the uh, unwitting contestant or in this case, witting contestant, and uh, see how long it takes them to be able to guess what movie these soundtrack listings come from. Well put. Well summarized. All right. All right. I could almost write a uh, musical score to, to that explanation. It moved so well. I think I can get it down like two-thirds of that, I think. I just can still get the explanation down a little bit more succinct. Yeah, we um, need the kind of uh, like little... We need the cue. We need the prompt. We need like the little index card that uh, Wink Martindale would use when oh, explaining wink. like tic tac doe or something. <laughs> Edit out that beat where it took me like two seconds to think of a Wink Martindale game show, so Jim doesn't get disappointed in me. Do you want? I had a moment of panic where I wasn't sure whether to say Wink Martindale or Win Martindale. I knew I could say either one, but I'm like, which one do I do? Which one do I go with? <laughs> well, which one isn't an actual name? That's the one you should go with. <laughs> he went by both at different points in his Win? career. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. That it, well, why? Wait, if you hosted a game show, why would you not go by Win? Because <laughs> Wink is. Yeah, Wink is. Wink well, is a pretty cool name. I prefer Wink Martindale. I, I do first, too. Wink. But that's Wink. what I knew him as first. So you will tend to prefer people that exactly. way. Exactly. It's like if Adam West one day said, No, I'm Adam East. I don't know what everyone's talking about. <laughs> and you're like, No, I like you better, Adam West. It's like, Why? Well, it's my name. Shut the heck up. <laughs> or Adam North. Wasn't that a, was that a <laughs> kid show? Alan North was. Oh, oh, oh. oh one Adam 12. I don't know. I don't know. We'll just, we'll just keep free associating like this. Yeah, that's right. The whole purpose of this is to warm up. Oh, boy, are we doing it. We, we jettisoned two whole categories to speed this up. And now we're just like, we're adding mud to spin our wheels in. Okay. Yes. Um, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Um, this one, I'm not sure about this one, but I'm going for it. This is in... Soundtrack order. So I have not ah. shuffled these or tried to reorder these because I thought the order they were in worked okay. Okay. All right. I will blank out one word. Redacted. Um, unless we get the report. far enough. In which Sorry. case I'll blank out more words. <laughs> and I'm going to set this as a par six. Ooh. So we'll see. We'll see how you do here. Okay. Okay. Track one. Main title, Looks Like a Suicide. That's hyphenated. Probably an M dash, really, even though it looks like a hyphen here. Main title, Looks Like a Suicide. The John Dunbar theme. Oh, uh, it's... Um, that's Dances with Wolves, right? Yeah, wow. <laughs> I didn't expect that name to pop out. Well, isn't that, isn't that the whole scene where he's like, John, John, John Dunbar, John Dunbar. Dunbar. Well, I sure don't John remember his Dunbar. name. Yeah. 
now I I did remember Two Socks the Wolf, and so that's where I once we hit uh, Two Socks or Kicking Bird <laughs> or Stands yeah. with the Fist, I thought those were the tracks that were going to give it away. Just because they're me- such memorable names, I did not think John Dunbar was a memorable name. So I okay, <laughs> right. well you uh, you aced that hole. That was four below par. Wow, I feel uh, very impressive. Special. Well, um, uh, I'm still kicking myself for not understanding President Joe Biden from <laughs> <laughs> no from from Idiocracy. President Joe, uh, I couldn't could I Burton, Barton, something like that. All right, here we go. Uh, I have. This is not in order. Okay. okay. Oh boy. All right. Uh, thrifty. All right. Uh, ben Franklin. Seventeen seventy six. Ben Franklin in uh, Paris. Uh, Rite Aid. Um, bus rider. R I D E R. Bus rider. Uh, well, we did speed already. Right. Uh, did we? Oh, previously. you see. Speed. S- suit walk. Suit walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Hmm. All right. Granny ATV. Granny all-terrain vehicle. So is it Beverly Hillbillies? <laughs> <laughs> Summer's cake. Okay. All right. Keep going. Here's Rico. Rico, Hill Street Blues. <laughs> Rico, um, this is like a, about stocks and bonds and their rating. <laughs> is that what a Rico score is? I don't know. I don't know. Kip Waits. Say that again? Kip Waits. Is it like, is there a comma there? Nope. What's... Kip, K-I-P, Waits. Because usually, so the way usually you wait a table and then they right. tip you. <laughs> no, no, Kip, Kip, K, K-I-P. Oh, K, okay. K-I-P. I can't, my volume control yeah. isn't working, so I can't. Um, oh, well, in that weave. case, you just win. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kip, wait. Kip, Kip Winger. Um, Let's go back. Some butthead to America. <laughs> the, uh, ringer. Um, no, we go uh, Thrifty, Bus Rider, Suit Walk. Granny ATV, Summer's Cake, Here's Rico. Something should tell me I should have looked at your letterbox. Summer's Cake? Wait, oh, Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Uncle Rico. There you go. That's my favorite track in that. What is Summer's Cake? Do you remember uh, Pedro walks across the street to lay a cake down at Summer's doorstep? Uh, the girl that he likes? He puts. Oh, yeah, he makes her a cake, and it says on there, and puts it on there. I don't think it was her birthday. I think it was just a cake. <laughs> she yeah, re- suit walk when he comes out in his thrift store suit. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. The next ones were nap store video, nap dance bedroom, naps nap Rico van, nap hangs up the phone, and the A team theme. <laughs> oh, really? They refer to him as nap on the. Yeah, they don't want to write Napoleon out every two seconds. Interesting. A couple of them, I think, had Napoleon in it. John Swithart. Nice. Oh. Uh, Dances with Wolves was by John Barry. Mm. Who Had used baritones, I bet. 
failed to say it. Okay, that All was right. track marks. We track marks. Well, did I make par there? Did I make par? Are you, uh, it was directly at par. So I made par. Okay. You made par. All right. Yeah. I'll th- I'm, I'm happy with that. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of being happy, well, or, may, or not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, let's move right into uh, talk about the oath. Yes. Um, let's the, take it. Now, as... I said to Siggy when he said he wanted to do Big Fan, I said, can we, can we do this one? Can we do the oath like, like right after? Because I want to make sure this gets out by October. Now, I don't think you'd heard of this movie because you looked at it and said, well, why? Don't, this looks like a Thanksgiving movie. Yeah. So why does it have to be out by October? Do you understand now why? I was like, this should be out by before, in October. Because you think it will influence people's vote? No, I don't think so at all. <laughs> but its relevancy is certainly there. Yeah. And this, this movie, um, just let's just say, I saw it in the theater when it came out. I made a okay. point to go see it. I, I'd seen the trailer, so I knew what to expect. But um, I was kind of really baffled by the marketing um, of it uh, that was just kind of making it look like a crazy Thanksgiving comedy. And um, even though Thanksgiving I f- with your family can be murder. Right, exactly. And um, yeah, I mean, even now it's the, the log lines are all just like this one on Box Office Mojo, uh, where I'm looking at its uh, uh, all time domestic box office and international worldwide box office as $400,000. Four hundred seriously $401,000 yeah they didn't they didn't put this in hardly any screens let's get but, this up to 402 people Come exactly on. so the the uh, uh, the log line is in a politically divided America at least they mention it uh, a man struggles to make it through Thanksgiving holiday without destroying his family that's what it says and I almost think that this movie I think it's a really funny movie but I almost think it dares you not to think of it as a comedy because it's. <laughs> I was watching it and realizing that I was so tense, I wanted to turn it off. I I did laugh out loud more than once at this mm-hmm. movie, but it my no, stomach was tied up in knots. Yeah. For for a good deal of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This movie hits really close to home. <laughs> it, it really does. I think, and it feels even more like a 2020 movie than a 2018 movie. Like yeah. it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of impressive how it's written in a way where it feels more relevant two years later for something that's so pointedly political, you know, yeah. of its moment. Right. Dire- writer, director, Ike Barinholtz, who also stars. And if, you, I, if you don't know him, he's from the Mindy project, uh, blockers. He was really great in block. Actually, everybody was really great in, in great in blockers. He's from Ma- blockers. That one. Basically, yeah. Okay. Um, I think he's written a real death piece of work. Uh, I've only know a couple of people who have seen this, and most of them don't have the same reaction I do, in the sense that they they're like, yeah, he really shows his politics, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. But something that to me is is very interesting about this movie in that he clearly shows what his political leanings are and he clearly shows that he finds them to be incredibly important. He also is showing how, which I think he, something tells me that Ike himself is like Chris, his character, 
where he's constantly telling people, look, this is like, look what's going on. This is all this stuff. And people hate him for it, find him insufferable. Um, he is. I found him insufferable. Well, he is. There's, there's certain, <laughs> there's, there's moments in it where you're just like, you can't. And I felt like he was being fairly, well, at least attempting to be fair about how, when you're having a political argument about what's actually happening, both sides are speaking from an area of like, everything is authentic that I've seen. Everything is real that I have read somewhere. And whatever you've read, wherever you read it is not. And how bad that is on both sides. But at the same time, what I got triggered up by was how Chris is like, from, from, from the get-go, his wife, everyone's like, you're always the problem. They're not the problem. You got, you got to keep a lid on it. You don't ruin this holiday again. And he's like, okay, I won't talk politics. And then everybody talks their politics. And then he's like, uh, I'm going to say something. And then he's like, stop ruining things. But we're going to talk about our side. <laughs> and so, except, except he's not he's not satisfied when they don't, though. Like he's yeah, still right. He still like draws it out of them, even when they're not trying to say anything. Yeah. Like the Chris Rock comment, you know. Right. And I thought this is what this movie did really brilliantly. Yeah. Is it showed like, you know, personally, my politics align with Chris's. Yeah. I find myself in the situations Chris is in. Um, or even more than actually finding myself in them, I dread anticipating yeah. Yeah. being in those kinds of situations that Chris is in over and over again in this movie. And I agree with him, and I find him completely insufferable. Yeah. And I'm like paralyzed by the fear that I'm yeah. being insufferable in the same way. Yeah. Right? And he... I, I think... I think I think what this movie depicts brilliantly, and it does a, it does a lot of things that I think it depicts really well, and yeah. like doesn't like give a big lecture about, and I really appreciate that about the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the fact that he is like this news junkie, he's like mainlining news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right, and he thinks that is making a difference, and it's not. Yeah. One one right? of my one of my favorite things I saw this time was when his friend comes into his office to tell him he's signing the oath. And he's like, how could you do that? I mean, we were the guys that led the march around the building. You remember that? <laughs> it's like, you're not really doing a lot. Well, okay, buddy. but leading a march around a building is doing something. You're right, okay? you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not, it might not be, you know, whatever, putting your life on the lane or something. Right, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Admittedly, actually, you're right, you're right. That is actually, you know, I, I, I respect that, but sneaking away to watch the news for 10 more minutes. Yeah. It's like he wants to be angry. Right. Yeah. Or thinking, you know, I mean, it's right. Like I, I face this dilemma all the time. Like terrible things are happening. People are suffering. Um, power is being wielded in unjust ways. And yet we're the assholes. I feel like I need to bear witness (laughs) to that. Right. Yeah, exactly. But Bearing witness in real time doesn't help. Doesn't right? it, though? Well, it doesn't appear to, anyway. So, like, people are getting shot in New Orleans right. in the movie, and that's horrible. 
if he didn't find out until the next day, what difference would that have made? Yeah, uh, according to what he, to what he, uh, how he jumps to action and what he decides to do about it. Yeah, you're right. It wouldn't have mattered because he yeah. decided really he didn't really do anything about it. He can't do anything about he it. He can't. Right. It's 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 thousands of miles away from where he is. He can't like he he cannot take action that will impact any <laughs> anything. Right. So like. The fact that he – so these things are important and they do impact our lives, but we also have to figure out a way to live our lives where you're paying attention to the things that like are immediately around you, you know? You're exactly right. Because those things matter. Those things matter too. And family is, is one of those things. Family on Thanksgiving is, is one example. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And what I do think that this movie does really brilliantly – is make that statement while at the same time, because a lot of, a lot of things, the, I think the thing that gets people like myself and obviously people like Trish trigger, triggered is that when you watch somebody hold a certain belief, you kind of go, that's the way they're going to vote. And that if they hold an ignorant point of view or a hateful point of view, or at least a view that, that, um, factors in the inhumanity of a whole group of people that there's perceived inhumanity of those people then that's going to be damaging to those people in the country so you feel like you need to step in and intervene because you have this access to this person but yet that is never welcome it is never uh and never taken well and but then this movie lays that idea down of what you just said, but then also says this will come to your door eventually. Yeah. Right. You know, well, this is why I find the Tiffany Haddish character kind of a puzzle box. I, I, I feel the same way because I agree. I agree with her in the sense that I can see why a mother would be like, don't do this stuff. Don't make any ways. I'm trying to protect my daughter. And you're out there just bringing danger to my door. Heck, I got the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. my better half is saying, like, don't tweet that because people are crazy and they will come find you. And she's yeah. like, asked me to take down a lot and uh, asked me not to, to do stuff because it's like, you know, we have a child now. So don't do that. And she's right. I can't disagree. But the Tiffany Haddish character, at the same time, I go, no, no, ethnic group is a monolith. But it was sort of somewhat puzzling how strongly she took that stance, you know. So it's not it, it it's not really remarked on. It's races. It's I think I thought it was interesting how like race is present in the movie and not remarked on. Right. Right. Like these things, like racial issues, racial justice is part of the politics that Chris is participating in right in whatever way he's participating in it right that he cares Mm -hmm. about but it's never it's never like brought up as a specific topic and like it could have the movie really could have gone off the rails quickly if when chris and kai is that her name yeah are having their argument in the driveway after he's yeah spent all night in the car and that he'd be like you know 
as a black person, you should care about this more than me. Yeah. Or, you know, something something to that effect. Like the, the well, He started to, right? And then she's like, Nope. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's up to <laughs> it's up to me to bring that up. Is like, it seemed like it was what her her point of view Well that that was it, there. There is a lot of talk about race and racism between, you know, John Cho's character and then the Asian driver's remarks and then the Chris Rock is more racist because yeah, this just the but, assumption that John Cho will be the reasonable one of the right, of the two of them. Right. right. Like that's that's a racist thing right, well, in itself, right? Well, also the fact that he says, I hit the Chinaman and, and 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 he's like in the middle of this horrendous life altering and life destroying sequence, he, Chris yeah. has to go, Guy, don't dad, no, he could be in why would you say <laughs> Like, you can't not address it. Um, right. And the the fact is, is that all that discussion remained only the discussion between white people. It was never discussed by anyone who actually wasn't white, which is still kind of, well, up until recently, I think a lot of what, it's like if there was going to be a discussion about race, it was only going to be handled by white people. <laughs> and, and, and thankfully now that's hopefully going to be a little different. Yeah. Um, I gosh. mean, if you if you look at Kai from like another Chris's perspective, from the Chris from Get Out, would he jump in on that conversation with all these people, or would he be like Kai and just say these potatoes are great or these biscuits? What do you do? <laughs> you know. I mean, I think that's part of what Chris the... from the beginning of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Chris from the beginning of Get Out. <laughs> I mean, I think that's part of what the movie's doing that's yeah. I like. I yeah. mean, so, so, you know, we're in like this moment of history where the turbulent 2020 um, era um, where you, on one hand, I feel like I should be like more of an active participant, like be more activist um, and help the the future I want to see uh, in this country and for my children become a reality. But on the other hand, I feel like I'm just a cork bobbing in a tsunami of history and I'm just being carried along yeah. and I'm not actually going to be able to make a meaningful change as an individual. I right. could be part of some swarm of people, but it's only a swarm of people that are going to make a difference, right? Right, right. There's no... This is not a great man moment. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. The fact uh, is, is that is that what we need as a people is not a John Wayne to come in and write things. We 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 all need to act collectively. That's our right. lesson. Yeah, Trump would be a joke today if there weren't a swarm of people who wanted to hear what he was saying, right? right. And so, if you're going to be that cork bobbing along, then you just have to do it. This is the Tiffany Haddish the Kai point of view is like you, you just do what you have to do to survive that right. wave. Right. Um, as it crashes over you and I get, I think it's part of the subtext of this movie that Chris needs to learn that skill in a way that minority groups or marginalized groups are forced to learn it their entire lives. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, 
Well put. And the, the Chris and get out is that, you know, there are times when you just have to lay low and survive. And it's, um, and you could pick that fight, but chances are you're not going to win it. Right. Yeah. And so what do you, what is it you're trying to do? Like some people just need to live their lives. I think white liberals like myself have as only coming to start to experience the constant threat that they have like, like you got to keep your head low, just survive, ride the wave and survive. But knowing that there's always going to be someone out there who wants, who could attack you. It's going to be the road rage guy slashing tires or the veteran throwing fits in restaurants. Those two right? scenes are both times I saw it, but this time, especially when I saw it in 2018 and when I saw it now, in 2020, those scenes are almost the most, I think the most uncomfortable because they feel. Oh yeah. They're horrifying. They're horrifying. I would even go yeah. so far as to say this movie is a horror movie. Really? Yeah. Um, more so than a, a comedy, <laughs> even though it's really funny. Um, it's horrifying. Um, those scenes are palpably, there's some of the scariest things I've seen in movies. Cause you're just like, I, I know this is happening. <laughs> because it's like, you know, it's like it's supernatural movies. Don't, scare me but this kind of stuff does because it's i feel like i could see this anytime i go out in public yeah so what do you do you know? you're, you're in your car with your daughter and you see this happen it's like it, you're again you're put in that situation of if i don't try to intervene i'm going to regret this for the rest of my life if i do my daughter is in danger you know and like if you were going to intervene, what is the right what is the right thing, thing to, to do? do? Right. What is the right thing to do? Right. What Chris does clearly doesn't help. No. <laughs> and has an extremely low probability of helping. <laughs> what if that guy went? Oh, you're right. Sorry. I. You, you know what? You convinced me. <laughs> you know. And I really, I really love that this movie doesn't offer a solution to that. Okay, it does offer. I think it does offer two solutions on the surface and I think yeah. it offers a third in a very subtle way. Okay. All right. I didn't think I had a thesis for this movie, but You'd I'm finding it. Way more than that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, all right. Um, okay. Don't let me lose the structure. The two and okay. then the third. The two and the third. Um, the two that but it to offers. get there, I have to say how this movie goes from like the uh, 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 political horror, like every the the horror of everyday America right now, from a political point of view, with some really sharp like comedic moments in it, to just like outright thriller. Once, really, I think once they um, when the agents show up, when right, show and up. Uh, and uh, the unofficial government <laughs> officials, <laughs> right, and Mason is like what did you just say? Or like, I think yeah. we're going to go for a ride. And it's like, well, what, uh, okay. We're, what, what territory are we venturing into now? Whereas I, we can't get suspended again. What he just says, I know people like you. There's a, there's a, a yeah, there's a yeah. line I didn't catch before when he's tied to the chair. And he says, if it weren't for people like me, people like you would be enslaved by people like me. I know. <laughs> I know. What a line. Billy Magnuson is terrific in this movie for a, for a role that could really not work. Oh no, he's terrifying. He's I'm like, terrific. I totally believed him. I yeah. totally believed his and portrayal of that character. It was he's, bone chilling. He's one of those actors that like, I keep showing up and going, boy, he shouldn't be as good as he is 
in this. Like he's played like mimbos and really dumbasses before, and he's fantastic. And then he plays, you know, narcissists and nice guys, and then bone chilling people like this. And these yeah. are the people that I am terrified of. It's that, all the eyes. Yeah, it's the eyes. Um. Okay, so, so two things. So once they like tie him up, the movie immediately became less scary to me. <laughs> Because I was yeah. like, oh, now we're in like in a high concept thing. Like, okay, right. I can think like how would I get myself out of this situation? But I also kind of don't believe I'd be in it. And like, yeah. I don't know, like the whole movie, it became a different kind of movie and a less effective one for me for most of the rest of, of the run. We, yeah, and the first. I, I, yeah, go ahead. Tell me whether you thought this part, that part worked. For the you. first two times I saw it, I felt like during this section between. Um, them running the always can I see you in the other room they did that like three or four times and it's like yeah. the momentum was really was really dragging and like being killed I thought yeah it's uh right for all the things that Ike Barinholtz does really well like mayhem is not something he has down as a director um sustained like mayhem I would say because the 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 scenes were the first attack and then the scene the First last attack, attack are right. terrifying. Um, but they, they feels like everything's out of control, and that, and then where focus finally comes in. But everything in between is it, it feels to me like we don't have enough money, so we have to stay in these two rooms, and we have to not have all the actors present in the rooms all the time. So we got to go, we got to just shoot these scenes in here and there and there. And then like, um, that's what it felt like was campering it a bit. But the, the third time I watched it, just this time, I kind of felt like those, those didn't, I kind of saw what they were building to more and I could appreciate it more. Um, uh, and the momentum didn't seem to drag for me this time. I, but the first time know. it really did. The first time it really I thought, did. I thought the problem was with it is when you had like six or seven characters all in the room, but only two or three are having an impact on what's happening. And like, yeah. guess the rest have like f sort of faded out. <laughs> it's like, it's like they're just transparent dotted lines until the movie remembers that they're there and yeah. do something with them. And that's really a problem when, uh, like more than once Mason is, like about to kill somebody and nobody seems to remember, Oh, there's a gun on the floor or right. I'm holding a taser in my hand <laughs> right. or we've already hit him with a shovel. Once we can do it again, like just right. hit him in the head with some, you know, like he's on top of your husband with a knife. You wouldn't wait yeah. a full minute to, to try to intervene. Like, I, you know, it's right. like parts of that. I just couldn't buy. I just didn't think it was the choreography was, was handled yeah. uh, very well. But, what it does, what was effective was when he threatens their kids, right? Oh, God. Yeah, and, and when, right, they'd already just decided what the, I thought the theme of the movie was, where they were like, it, it, where they were like, look, you can't, we can't let them change who we are. Yeah. We cannot let them change who we are. We're going to go out there. We're going to do what we, we know is right, and we're going to accept whatever consequences come our way. That's yeah. the theme of the movie, how you, sh how you should be acting. That's what you need to do. And then he goes out there, and then your sister is wailing on him and going, he's going to come after our kids. And right. the power he, he try he's trying to 
you know, amass over everyone when he is the most vulnerable person in the room outside of his partner, you know, is like, and he's still, he's doing it. <laughs> uh, he's terrified. That's what, that's what unites the family. Yeah. Right. And that's, and sorry. It, it's, that's what I really like about the script is that's what ultimately, whatever your differences are, whatever different, yeah, whatever your different beliefs are, like this is what we all believe in. This is what we all believe in. Is and, that we all just want to keep our family safe. Yeah. Right. And, and to me, one of the more, it's weird how, how moving it was. And this, but to me, this is what's really depressing when I think about 2020 is because the fantasy here, and I never thought I would call it a fantasy, but the fantasy here is that everyone in the room with all their poli different political beliefs and all their own needs and motivations can all see evil, recognize evil when they see it, can all agree we all want to protect our families and this cannot happen. And so yeah. when Abby is like, do it, you know, <laughs> yeah. when Abby is like, we can all agree this is not right. That's powerful. And granted, he's going to do a horrible thing, but we all, everyone's on the same page. The unity in that room is so palpable and moving. And yet in my own life, people could look at the same thing and not have that unity. I think. And that just depresses the crap out of me. Granted, the, 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 the ICE detention centers at the border are not in my living room. Right. So, I, yeah. They're part of I, this. Articles we're reading, either from CNN or from Fat Ass Patriot 69. <laughs> I mean, that's what, you know. It, you know, it is about their family and not someone else's family. Right. Yeah. Like it, but it, I, I think just like the movie doesn't like put the racial issues too much on the surface, but kind of leaves them in play without like making them the, the, the topic of any particular scene. Right. Um, except for maybe the Chris Rock scene. I, I think it's to the movies. I think it's a good strategy to sort of boil this down into some kind of essence instead of trying to encompass everything it could be about. Right. True. Like, I think, I think you could say, you know, yeah, but do you, would you feel this way about families on the border and right. ICE detention centers and cages or, you know, family separation policy? Why doesn't that, pluck the same string for you why doesn't that right. trigger the but, same instinct in you but i don't and think i that, think that sorry. could be another movie that could be the oath too <laughs> <laughs> i think it would have been too much to try to do in in the context of this story and for it to be successful i i agree but i don't think it has to um much like get out's new ending i never thought i'd be comparing this movie to get out actually but like the <laughs> uh more than once but like i think the fact that the cpu <laughs> Sorry, citizens is a citizens patrol unit, whatever the, the the CPU shows up to their door. Yeah, means that all this stuff you're talking about in theory, it, it's real and it will come to your yeah. door at some point if you don't deal with it in theory. Because one line that stuck out to me to this time was when she was when I think they're the the CPU guys had shown up 
and Kai pulls Chris in the other room and he, Chris is like trying to get Sheldon on the phone, his lawyer. And he says, um, uh, he says, this is not Nazi Germany. And she goes, well, duh, duh. Of course it's not Nazi Germany. But the problem, but, and, and, and that's true is like, whenever someone says, well, this isn't Nazi Germany. We should be able to do this. You're like, you're right. Duh. It's not Nazi Germany. Why do you always bring that up? But this is how you become Nazi Germany. People have shown up at the door. And so I think that I don't think you have to talk about, well, why isn't this um, affecting you on there? Because now it's here because you didn't deal with it. Now it's here at your door. And um, it just got to everyone else first. And so um, I think it does that really well without you know, hitting you over the head with it. I just think it's baked into, you know, what happened. That's why I think this, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, you appreciate the writing in this because I feel like everyone, everything I've read or heard people talk about it, just talk about it. Like it doesn't fall through. It doesn't, it's kind of ham fisted. It's got clunky dialogue. It's a little ham fisted, but I think, maybe, but I, I, I don't know. I think there's, there's, there's deafness, be below the ham-fisted things that they say you know yeah i mean i think this would have this movie really would have gone down a peg or two in my mind if somebody had done speechifying yeah the big like oh i've learned my lesson and now i'm going to deliver the speech i think it's to the movie's benefit that all the speechifying is done before they've learned their lesson (laughs) exactly completely Completely. Everything after that is is terse and practical. Yeah. And and I think. Do you want to know? Do you want to know who called you in? Yeah. Nah. nah. You know. Like. And, and I think that I th- I honestly think to Mason that was the most moving thing that happened to him that evening. Like that. I agree. I think that is going to be why he doesn't come after their kids eventually. Other than the fact that okay, well we. Sh- I want to, don't want you to forget your, your three-pronged thing here. Yeah, yeah. But, like, let's talk about the ending for a second. Because the first time I saw the ending, I was a little, in the theater, I was a little bit like, I don't feel like that's enough. I don't think there's the reason why he's not going to come after them. And, and, but the next two times I saw it, especially this time, the ending hits me like a ton of bricks. You mean Be- the, the fact that the president resigns? Resigns. Okay, that's Be- my second prong. Yeah, because, and if I may steal one of those progs for a second, because I'm mid-sentence, <laughs> is... Um, is because all these people came out of the woodwork. The, the president has been able to, to be where he is and do anything he wants, and nobody, nobody on, on his side blinks that aren't in the government. They got their own reasons. But like the supporters, the citizens that think, they don't blink at anything he does because he validates all their worst aspects. He is telling them it's okay and actually right for you to have these terrible instincts, terrible qualities that everyone else is telling you you're bad for. He validates those things for them, and that's why they'll always stand by him. And this is sounding familiar. This is sounding like some other president I know. <laughs> exactly. So, well, no, I'm saying that I'm actually talking about that president. <laughs> <laughs> so um so when this fictional president who by the way uh i believe i heard ike Barinholt say i think on comedy bang bang that he wrote this when obama was in office oh really and i think he was kind of writing it more from like 
thinking of the Bush term, the area, and how he was kind of afraid that things would come back this way. But weirdly, if I, I, I find it, I mean, he probably tweaked it a lot because they it was released in 2018, which means it was probably is an indie shot. Could have been shot 2016 or even earlier, but it's so weird how many, you know, yeah, Minneapolis isn't uh, Kenosha, but they're pretty close, and there's stuff going in Louisiana, and then he says up in Seattle, or there's a northwest uh, city, I forget which one he mentions, and it's all so eerily, um, and, and the oath itself is something you know Donald Trump would just love to do. Yeah. Surprised he hasn't thought of it already. And um, this kind of, oh, nothing's going to happen, but there are perks. <laughs> we'll just get you on lists. And so uh, it's all weirdly, like, it's, it's too prescient. And um, the, so for me, I kind of really hope that the ending of this movie becomes kind of real in the sense that once, if he's ever out by whatever way possible, that the, that there's a deflation that'll occur that suddenly they're not validated anymore. And they think, well, well, I guess, and they'll go, well, we'll have to go back into the shadows, but we, you're not going to go back in the shadows now because we've seen you, we know who you are. And, I kind of hope that like this time the ending really worked for me. So that's, I, I agree with all of that, especially the way it applies to, uh, the real America 2020 and hopefully 2021 (laughs) and beyond. I take something different from it though. I think Mm -hmm. it's really significant and interesting that the oath, I mean, the oath is the driver of of the plot of this whole thing, right. right? And the driver behind everything that's happening is this president who was never established as a personality in the movie. No, never once. And he's hardly ever mentioned. He's barely seen. You just see, I think you see video footage of his back. We don't hear his name. Nope. We, we just don't, don't even hear what the content of the oath is after the very beginning, after the right. opening title where it really emphasizes it's an oath to the president, loyalty right. to the president, right? But after that, the president kind of fades mm-hmm. out of the picture until the end when you don't even see his resignation. Right. And that struck me as an odd choice at the beginning is that how backgrounded all of that is. But now I think it was strategic or at least yeah. I, I think it's really effective because i ended up not seeing it in the kind of like us versus them terms you're putting it in mm-hmm. i saw it as the president that president resigning off camera mm-hmm. <laughs> um off screen is is really meant to like speak to the Chris's as well as to yeah. What's his, what's his brother's Mason. name? Or uh, Pat. Pat. The Chris's as well as to the Pats. Yeah. Because I think what this movie is all about is yes, you have to believe what you believe. Like being an activist for those beliefs is is good, but you also need to like back off <laughs> too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And. Like whatever your commitments are, your commitments are strong, but you have to know when to relax them. Your 
not your commitment to it, but your you can't you just can't be like tilting at windmills constantly. Right. Right. And the scene, and this is my third prong. The scene that really sticks with me in this movie is over Thanksgiving dinner when Chris Rock show, uh, comes up in conversation, coming uh-huh. back to it. And Chris sees Pat and <laughs> uh, what's her Abby? name? Not Katie. Abby. Not Katie. Abby. From Palm Springs, by the way. This is what I was referring to. Right. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, similar kind of character. Um, <laughs> he sees them roll their eyes at each other. Yeah. And like, this would be the easiest thing to just ignore. Right? Exactly. Just it, like, move on. Just it's don't like, say anything. It's like nails on a chalkboard when he does that. And you just go, they don't no. Like, yeah. They don't like Chris Rock. Fine. People, people don't have to like Chris Rock. Talk about the mashed potatoes, right? But he has to know. He has to. He's spoiling for this fight. Like he knows that they disagree with that about this, and he has to. Yeah. He has to air it out right now for some reason. And then here's the part that really sticks with me. So they say, and like they're reluctant to say it because they know it's going to be an issue, and they don't. They don't want to get into it. Pat and Abby say, "Well, we think he's racist." And what could Chris do in this moment? Chris could say, what do you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't because he already thinks he knows everything that they're going to say. Exactly. And he might be right. Right. He, this is his brother. He knows his brother well. Right. He does, obviously it, doesn't know Abby well. And it's actually his brother, if you didn't know that. Oh, is it really? Yeah, Pat's actually his brother. That's his actual brother. Oh, that's brother. funny. And... And Chris, what's more is Chris's defense is like the lamest non-defense yeah. against the charge of racism. It's, you know, it's the, oh, some of my best friends are white. <laughs> right. You know, he, it's he, like if turn it all around and he would call that a bullshit defense. Yeah, totally. Totally. A white person would. that he would say racist. But here he is just spouting it the other way around. And there's no, he's not even, he's not interested in a dialogue. No. He's not interested in hearing their point of view. He thinks he knows it already. And boy, if I don't fall into that trap mm. over and over again, right? Because just, oh, your blood is boiling. And because yeah. like, you're not really, you're not talking to this individual. You're talking to like the swarm. You're talking, yeah. you're, you know, you're, you're talking, talking you're talking this... to every dumbass thing you ever heard in defense of what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you're freighting this individual with that and you're expecting them to represent all of it. And you're you're blind to what this individual person is doing. You're completely walling off the possibility of ever changing their mind. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that completely. Was, if that's what you ever had a glimmer of hope of doing, <laughs> well, you can't do it now. Like, yeah, you've sealed off that possibility, and yeah. you're not experience you're not experiencing this as a human being in this moment. No, you know, and this is what terrifies me is because I'm. I'm really bad at this. I have been for a long time and I haven't gotten any better. It's gotten worse, you know, cause, cause things are so the yeah. culture war has just I, gotten I, that much more intense. And it's just like, it's, it's hard. And so the president resigning for me is like saying, Chris, you need to tone it down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the president resigned for whatever reason, like you need to resign sometimes too. Right. You know, just like, 
That's enjoy this dinner. Talk with your brother about bullshit. If he does think Chris Rock is racist, it's possible that Chris Rock is racist. You know, like (laughs) it doesn't mean he's 100 percent monster racist, but he could have said a racist thing. Right. I, you know, I love how how that uh, margin of error grows on his arguments like when he's from the beginning of the movie like like when he when he challenges i think he does say what do you mean a couple of times in the beginning and then that just goes out the window later like when yeah. when he says thank you alicia wong when about yeah, and he's like what, what why did you say it like that and and yeah he's he ends up being right but what he i remember i love the line which is what happens to me a lot when he goes who do you think statistically is more Worst drivers, white people or Asian people? And everyone goes, Asians. And he goes, no, Dad, I wouldn't have said it if it wasn't white. <laughs> it's white people. If I wouldn't have said it if it wasn't white. And, and, but then after that, he goes a step farther and says, Asians are the most safest drivers in the world. Well, yeah, how could he know that? And Pat rightly points him up and says, how could you know that? <laughs> And so, and so, and then by the dinner table, he doesn't even go to that first argument to try to make a case. He just goes right to that pie in the sky argument that he's not even thinking about, just anything to to back up his thing. And that's where where the where Chris really grates on me because you know I'm like all on his side, but then when he does that crap just to win, yeah, I I have to go. God, am I doing that sometimes? Yeah, I don't. Oh want yeah, to be. I totally, I totally. So I I give Wait. a lot. I ton of respect for ike for making himself so unappealing yeah. including refusing to shave on thanksgiving which i'm like <laughs> he fucking should have saved for thanksgiving right. what's his fucking uh, problem no um i really appreciate his i mean i hope god i hope that's what he was doing is that he was willing to make himself so yeah, unappealing i think in, so in this role i think so because he wouldn't have because he changes by the end where he's like nah i i don't need to know and, and a couple oh God, there is so much to talk about still. I, I'm sh- I might have a say I have a favorite moment in the movie otherwise, but whenever I see this moment, I'm like, that's my favorite moment in the movie. It's on the, it's <laughs> on the drive back from the hospital, where on the drive to the hospital, he's trying to talk to Mason and to uh, Pete, who are both severely wounded, and Pat keeps the, running over speed bumps. And he's just like going, uh, uh, Pat, can you get, can you do something about the speed bump? He's like, well, what do you, what do you want me to do? I know, <laughs> you know, and I know. for as dumb as Pat is and as loathsome as his views are, I completely side with him in that moment, you know, because he's right. like, what am I supposed to do? And then, and then on the way back, Chris is driving and he hits the speed bumps. <laughs> I know, and that look, because like it's like, come on, guy, this is. It's it's my favorite moment in the movie. That is a great moment. Just it's just the looks on their it's the way their yeah. faces tense up. <laughs> it's very it's brotherly like, and it's also very like I think ties to the themes of the movie is like we're all on the same road. We all are going to hit these same bumps. Are we going to yell at each other about it? Or are we going to try to weather through, you know? Yeah. But but at the same so so here's the things that I, I said I said to Siggy before um this uh to the listeners I said to him before the, the, we started recording that every time I tried to write out a thesis statement about this movie, about halfway through, I would get, I'd get so tangential on all these other things that I'd get depressed and never finish it. Yeah. 
And part of that is because what you're saying I exactly agree with. We have to we have to have a conversation. We have to debate. We have to allow others to speak. Yeah. Not just for them to step in their own traps, but to actually allow their voices to be heard. Because that's honestly what causes a lot of animosity and and non-conversations. Um, at the same time, though, I really appreciate Cory Booker's, I believe it was attributed to him, where he says, uh, you know, we have to meet halfway with our... Um, with our political opponents, how do you meet halfway with a bigot? I know. How, how, okay. do you, how do you say, yes. how do you say, too. yeah, it's like, how, how do I say, you don't think of me as a f- fully human being. I do. So I'll meet you halfway and I'll be half a man. No, you don't, you can't do that. I know. That's and, the dilemma. This is so like here, the double, this is the double bind. Right. This is the double bind. And every time I go down that hole, it's like, you know, and, and the whole thing about it's not enough to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist, which I'm trying to wield more um, in my, as, as, as almost like a weapon, really, because it's like, it's enough. It's, it's just enough. And, there, but there's a, there's a thing, there's an author, A.R. Moxon, who's, I think, my favorite person on Twitter. Um, this is at Julius Goat. Um, this is his handle. And he has, he, I think the, the tweet he's been most retweeted of his is this thing he wrote. Um, Historians have a word for Germans who joined the Nazi party, not because they hated Jews, but out of a hope for restored patriotism or a sense of economic anxiety or a hope to preserve their religious values or dislike of their opponents or raw political opportunism or convenience or ignorance, or greed. That word is Nazi. Right. Nobody cares about their motives anymore. (laughs) They joined what they joined, they lent their support and their moral approval, and in doing so, they bound themselves to everything that came after. Who cares anymore what particular knot they used in the binding? (sighs) It's hard for me to argue with that. (laughs) Yeah, that's the... That's the issue. That's the that's the part that's hard to wrestle with is you if we want to like uh, if I'm going to stand by everything I just said about what I thought <laughs> this movie was saying. Yeah. Then I'm saying that we need to lower the tension by learning to see our other fellow privileged white people. <laughs> Right. As human beings. Right. Yeah. Um, it's it, the, the idea in, in, a, in a Socratic kind of dialogue. The answer, if someone doesn't understand your point, the answer is almost never because they're evil. But that's been challenged for me a lot lately. <laughs> <laughs> but, even, you know, but let's say they're not evil. Let's just say, I mean, the, the fallback is they're ignorant. But that's not always true. No. But if what they're, if you're standing on two sides of an ideological divide and you believe and the evidence that you know tells you that the ideology on their side of the divide is reinforcing systems of injustice. Right. If you want to be an ally for those who are victims of that injustice, mm-hmm. then 
what do you do? You know, that's, that's why, that's why the Tiffany Haddish character for me is a, is a, is a puzzle box because you feel, (laughs) you feel that by not speaking up when someone says something racist in your home, you are reinforcing systems of racism, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When the, when someone who is, is a victim of systemic racism tells you this is not the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Like that. I mean, that's a, I don't know if that's a convenience of the script. I don't know how realistic that is. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I would like to I have mean, seen. Tiffany Haddish has obviously given her endorsement to it, not just by taking the role but like being a co-producer on on the film right right so it must speak to i'm guessing it speaks to her experience i haven't read any right. interviews or anything um but being a listed as producers i see that as an endorsement <laughs> um, <laughs> or at least she had she had a hand where she could say something about it i mean for, from what i understand she had agreed to do the movie and then uh girls night the one that she got famous is it girls night out Girls Trip. Girls Trip. Right? Yeah. Trip. The, uh, yeah. That came out and she became a megastar after that. Yeah. And Ike Barinholt said, to her credit, we thought, well, she, we, she's, she's not going to do it anymore now. <laughs> she's not going to do our little movies, you know, because she's huge. But she goes, to her credit, she said, no, I'm doing it. I'm absolutely going to do it. And she, you know, took, had her sketch and she, she kept true to this much lower paying project. Yeah. You know, um, uh, to her words, to her credit, she did that, which is cool. So that means it must have meant it meant something to her, right? Other than yeah. just you know, but just taken out of the taken out of the context of this movie for a minute. Like if you, that's a double bind. Is you, and I don't even know if it's a double bind, but it feels like a dilemma where you, <sighs> I don't know, or like where you feel like the term. This is I don't know a good way to say this. Is well, we're also expecting. You feel like you have to. You feel like you have to be a good ally. Yeah, you know, but that means sometimes not knowing what the right course of action is. Right. I mean, I mean, sometimes it means shutting up and letting the person you're an ally with do the talking. Right. I think that's what it really means. And so, if one's in the room with you, then you follow their lead. I mean, one. If one of them, um, (laughs) it's again, we are not immune to the us or them dynamic that has been. That's been we've all been characterized in. Yeah, we're not immune to it. Um, I mean, that's I, what this movie felt like to me. Is like I don't know how to fucking act or talk. Right? Yeah. No. No. Exactly. What I should be thinking about any given hour of the day anymore. I, I like, think I think it does that beautifully. I mean, we're also our when we're talking about what Tiffany Haddish thought about it. We're also assuming that she even wants to take a political viewpoint one way or the other. Just because of what her undoubtedly her experience as a black person in America has been, but I don't know. I can't it's, make that up know, for her. Right. One That's, more example of unfairly expecting her to represent something more than herself. Yeah. Exactly. And it could be you know that thing of like we're not you know we've had to ignore it our whole lives. This is how we're going to ignore it. And we're going to keep. It. Actually, what I was thinking was you, you talked about valuing the um, or, or allies or rather. If you allow uh, systemic racist things to be done, then you're supporting the system of racism. The same thing can be said about family cohesion. If you're not actively trying to make sure that everyone's cohesing in a family, 
then you're against the cohesion of family. Uh, cohering. Cohering. Okay. Sorry, sorry. My, <laughs> I'm, I, I am against grammar. It's <laughs> um, a tricky one. That's a tricky one. Grammarical speaking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I mean that that uh, uh, also. We haven't talked about it really yet, but I thought Carrie Brownstein as Alice, as a Chris's sister, was great. I really liked her in this movie. Yeah, she and, was good. And uh, <laughs> and, she, and she went from being very sen- uh, sensible. The, the times where she lost it, I really thought were funny. Like when they're trying to figure out what they're going to do, I could kill them and I could drive them somewhere. And we get on a boat and they. And then she says something like, that's the stupidest plan. It doesn't even involve me. <laughs> <laughs> but but that moment when you could tell how close they are from that park bench thing and how close they were by Chris's quelling his reaction to her saying she signed the oath. To at the dinner table saying, when he says, anyone who does it is a fucking pig who should be hung in the streets. And then looks over at his sister. She goes, "Well, not you," but then he's. But then he says, "But no, a little bit. Fuck you." And there was an honesty to that that, like, was not only terrifying, but also, I don't know. It was. It was almost kind of like, "Well, yeah, a little bit. Fuck you." I mean, you, you could relate to that a little bit, even though I was m- way more on Alice's side than Chris, for sure. Yeah, the, I don't know. For, for me, that moment means, like, he's saying, Chris is saying shit he doesn't really totally believe, and he's he's dehumanizing yeah. people, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's just as guilty of dehumanizing as them, except, yeah. he, you know, it's, it, it's the... Except, here's the thing, yeah. though. Let me, let me, I mean, not Alice and not all the other people, but here's the problem with that. You and I, and, and, and many others like us, keep saying, oh, gosh, yeah, we're dehumanizing them just like we're criticizing them for dehumanizing us and other people. I mean, I mean, yeah, what do you do? But then when you look at the actual political viewpoints we hold, one of them really is dehumanizing the other. <laughs> and the other one is just talking. You know, it's, it's like the dehumanizing of the other side is saying you're dehumanizing people. Now, here's something that I think is very interesting. Um, this and reminds this, me, I got to enter joke because this reminds me of a joke. Okay. We got to tell yeah. jokes. We got to tell um, jokes. Reminds me of an Andy Kindler line from, <laughs> it was on a Dr. Katz, but it must have been part of his routine. Uh, but he's talking to his mom about an audition that he didn't get. And she says, well, it's their loss. And he says, yeah, well, they're taking it rather well. <laughs> And so, yes, some, that's a great joke. If everyone gets dehumanized, some are still coming out ahead in in the bargain. Yeah, exactly. The power structure favors them. But the, yes, the, please, sorry, proceed. Oh shoot, I laughed too hard. I laughed what I was going to say right out of my head. Ah, uh, my fault. I interrupted but at you. At the same time, you you um you uh this might be a good point to bring up this other thing I saw. I was reading a op-ed in um the Washington Post today, written by Justice Scalia's um son and it was about Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's friendship that they had through most of the year of the court and how they were they disagreed bitterly and um uh, uh, on things and 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 Ruth Bader Ginsburg's um dissents were often you know very fiery against what um Antonin had put out there but um 
but they remained friends, and they uh, he speculated on why and why they really enjoyed each other's company and why and all this stuff. And he was talking about what lessons do we learn from this? And um, it's it's an int- it's interesting, but and I I uh, on the surface agree with what he's saying, but at the same time I. <laughs> Um, I'm also going, well, you know, the people who are in power are always the ones saying, you know, if we all just got along, this would be great. Right. And I, I'm yeah. fucking sick of that. And I, we I should I, all, yeah, uh, that's, Stevie that's Wonder that's said it. Per- just conform and uh, it's not conform, but right. If you if just don't hold us accountable for maintains the status quo. Yeah. yeah. If we just maintain it. It's fine. We all get along. Great. And I think Stevie Wonder said it great recently when he's like going, they all they all want us to stop uh, rioting, but they obviously don't want it bad enough for us to do something about it, to like right. make a change. They obviously don't want it that bad. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I there's a point where, you know, that's said a lot, but you know, when people make peaceful revolution. Peaceful change uh, impossible. They make violent revolution inevitable, and that's. Unf- I mean, I just don't understand what anyone else can do. When um, I, I want to promote everyone to get along, because I, 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 you know, the whole thing with um, you know, the anger that a lot of uh, uh, low-income white people in poverty feel when they hear white privilege. I mean, I, I can see why they're mad. They're looking around at their surroundings at what they have and more importantly, what they don't have. And they're like, well, how is this white privilege? How is this a privilege? You know, and then they're pissed off that they think they're, they're, that they're being seen for taking advantage of something when they don't feel like they have any advantage. And I, I can see that. But what I can also see is that they're not seeing that if a black person in America had the exact same thing they did, they were under so much more threat and pressure and disadvantage to get there. Yeah. And that's white privilege. And so, um, so it's not like you don't have to endure. There's a difference between adversity and oppression and what white people, uh, in our country, even if they do experience some economic oppression, what they mainly face is absurd is, is absurdity is adversity not oppression and they just don't and i think that a lot of white people these people that i sometimes used to but um <laughs> talk to on facebook and whatnot from my uh, hometown and and whatnot is uh um i think they just they, they they know that these words are bad but they mean bad racist racist homophobe um I would throw Republican in there, but they don't see that. <laughs> but like uh, racist and homophobe and all that stuff, that's all bad. We're not bad, so we're not those things. Even if the things we say are completely in line with those definitions, I know those words are bad, and I don't appreciate being called and characterized as bad. And I think that's, that's kind of what I feel we're fighting mostly, so I, I made a post that I don't think uh, recently, I don't think anybody responded to, and I could completely see why they didn't. <laughs> but tell me what you thought, think, think about this. I came up with a term that I don't know if it's, if it's helpful or not. Um, and I've forgotten it already. Oh, that's what it is. White deflectionist. White deflectionist. 
And I wanted to know, and I put this question out there, and it's, I haven't checked it in a while, but I don't think anybody has responded. This is like a Karnak bit. Right. White deflectionist. Well, so, like, does it help envelope. to have a word? Wait, what, maybe I need to find this because I can't, I don't even remember what I said now. It just, just popped in my head. Um, does it help to have a word where someone to define or somebody as being someone who is not would not call themselves a white supremacist if you ask them who would honestly answer i'm not a white supremacist yeah but then not do a single thing or 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 resist or value their own comfort and status over making any acknowledgement towards the systemic suffering and oppression of others. Yeah. And, and my, my, my question is, does that hurt the overall, does having such a term to, to, to defy, to, to separate the white supremacist from the, uh, let's say, How do I not be mean in this characterization? <laughs> to separate the white supremacists from the people who who have basic morals but don't acknowledge what the fuck is going on around them, <laughs> or 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 just don't want to. Anyway, basically, I was thinking of what Martin Luther King was saying was like we say, look for your allies, right? The people who aren't gonna you look for your allies, and if people are kind of on the fence about it, leave them behind, right? Yeah. And so I just want to leave all these people behind because if they're not, if they don't immediately recognize that something's a problem and they need something needs to be done, then I, 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 they're just going to be dead weight. <laughs> but, but what do you mean by that? Leave them be. What do you mean? Be, what do you mean by leave well, them behind? Well, the thing of like trying to reach out for them and say, okay, well, let's, let's communicate and have a dialogue about what we mean and see that what we're saying isn't, an attack on you like the very idea that you say black lives matter and then people get defensive like well, well, what about us yeah it's like it's not about you <laughs> they're like i know that's the problem and you're like you know they think they're more special and it's like no it's not that it's that we they they are they are literally being treated as not special we're pointing out the exception to the general you know idea and so how do you do you talk to these people to to like kind of make them realize what other people are going through and what they can do to help or rather what they can do not to hurt even from the people who are actively trying to hurt. Because it seems like the more that this other, this group of people are, are left uncommunicated with or yelled at or called white supremacists, um, the more they're going to actually become white supremacists because in full, in, in full, they're going to drift that way because they don't want to be attacked. But does it muddle the water? Does it, does it muddle the fact that white supremacy is so baked into everything that it hurts the argument that it exists at all? You see what I mean? By making this distinction. I don't know what's, if it's a good thing or not. That's why I put it out there to say, does this help? Does it not help? Well, I'm no expert. Is it an olive branch when there shouldn't be an olive branch, you know, kind of thing? Uh, I, I'm certainly no expert. I can't speak for what Martin Luther King meant. Um, I'm not positive of the context in which those words were spoken. Oh, uh, 
But that what was, I yeah, paraphrasing. What I think maybe I know is that it, it's it's still important. I think I I imagine what he was talking about was leave them behind and when you're building your movement. Right. right? Exactly. That's what because I mean. Because like a a real ally is is going to be willing to lose something. Right. If you're not willing to give something up, you're not that's not true allyship. Right, right. Right. You have to be willing to sacrifice something. And so if you're not willing to sacrifice something, if you're more concerned with preserving your own comfort and privilege, mm-hmm. then you're not really committed to justice because right, right. you want to maintain a status quo which privileges yourself over over others. Exactly. Um but I I, I think it's and so, and like it, within that context, it's still important, even to those people, though, to keep communicating what your movement is about. Yeah, absolutely. And so, if someone doesn't understand what Black Lives Matter means, it's still valuable to uh, try to communicate. It doesn't mean only Black Lives Matter. It just <laughs> means Black Lives are the ones that need to be. <laughs> we need to say that they matter because otherwise, we're treated as if they don't. Right. right? And that's not the case for. Blue lives, for example, um, <laughs> for most people. And then there's, and I think it's an important distinction between, um, uh, yeah, like the the nice people who are still preserving, are still acting in a way that preserves this, an unjust status quo, versus those who are like building the systems that reinforce white supremacy mm-hmm. and systems of injustice versus those who like actually hold personal racist beliefs. Right? Right, right. I think those are separate categories. And I think, I think the reason people don't want to be called racist or don't even want the race card to be played is because they, they think, and, and it's often said this way is that you are a racist as in like as if it's a binary thing, right? Like you're right. either a racist or you're not, right? Right. Um, rather than uh, like everybody has racist biases, right? Yeah. Everybody yeah. has some degree of racism in them. It's it's I, it's it's I, not I, a it's what a about ism kind of thing. It's just yeah, the truth. It's a it's a product of evolution, and you have <laughs> right. to like evolve your mind beyond that if you want to live in a just world. Um, and like want to have empathy for people who are different from yourself. Right. But because, because people with those biases have been building systems over thousands of years, as long as there's been civilization that those, those biases and imbalances are baked into systems. Yeah. Um, ones that are much younger than thousands of years, but, um, it's it's there. Yeah. And so justice work is recognizing where systems reinforce, uh, power imbalances and trying to do something about it. And so sometimes that means this is a, a racist system or this is part of a white supremacist system. Um, and this is just like a communication problem. It's a branding problem. So everyone yeah. who participates in maintaining this is participating in white supremacy, even if you don't ever have a conscious moment that says whites are better than blacks. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Or uh, you know, or how many people of color you have as friends, you know, or how much <laughs> right. you listen to Stevie Wonder. <laughs> 
and everything you ever you grew up with or ever loved yeah. is part of that. And so if you are thinking back fondly on those things and then you're told those things were bad because they reinforce white supremacy, it's pretty yeah. natural to have a negative reaction to hearing that. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, like and you really have to open your mind to accept that. Right. That we have to yeah. see that we also have to know that we can like something without endorsing it or that or that we could have liked something. Like look at 16 Candles today. If you've tried to watch that movie again recently where you go back, I mean, not even talking about Long Duck Dong, but like going to uh, um, who I actually always had the clearest perspective in the whole movie myself. <laughs> um, but the um, uh, but talking but when you when you look at the thing about, you know, I'll let you, you know have sex with my drunk, passed out girlfriend here. And so many 80s movies had the thing where the nerd would have sex with a girl when the girl either didn't know he had or didn't know it was him. And then because she found out that he had the capacity to have sex, or to more likely from that point of view, to give her sex, then she now likes him. That's just fucking disgusting. That was the predominant... That's in so many of the movies I grew up with. Right, yeah, and I in movies I like. <laughs> movies like my mom would say, "Hey, you should see." Yeah, this. you should see this, and you you're know? like, "What? What am I doing?" And so, yeah, I know, you know, and so I think a lot of people are like, "I don't want to be seen as bad because I like this," and you're like, "That's fine," but it's a lot of there's so much uncertainty principle stuff that's happening these days because, like, I think the resistance to say. I'm not a racist. Don't call me a racist. Um, I'm not, and I, that's why I hate the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm not going to agree to these things because they're just trying to make us all feel, they're all trying to label us as racists and criminals. And then you go, okay, well, the fact that you are refusing to acknowledge the systemic oppression that's happening is now bringing that label onto you. If you just acknowledge that it's here and it's present and it has been present, guess what? You wouldn't have that label. <laughs> but now you do because you're fighting it. I think that's the kind of war that's going on through people who aren't out and out, you know, sig heiling in the, you know, that aren't the, um, I forget that guy's name. I don't want to know that guy's name anyway. It doesn't matter. Richard Spencer. There you go. Um, there you got a plug. Whoops. <laughs> well, thanks. Now you know whose campus visit to boycott. I, I'm. I feel so terrible that I used to go into his gift store and like put my face in those needle things and <laughs> my hand in the needle, and there'd be like you know, kid toys and nude calendars and sex toys in a mall. It's weird. What a fucking terrible store that I always loved to go into as a kid. Yeah, um, <laughs> but there is a stereotype. You always go in there first, like, okay. Mom says, "Okay, I'm going to go shopping in J.C. Penney's." Like, first you go to Spencer's, <laughs> and you end up in KB Toys. Right. So she'll find you in there. She'll find you yeah. in there. She'll find you with the whatever that's got that feather boa and lava lamp wrapped around whatever. You know, that was our magazine in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> what you didn't have no. Magazines in the woods? Oh, just kidding. We had those two. We had those two, yeah. Um, I might cut this, but there was a stereotype that I'm that I have in my head that I came up with recently, <laughs> which was it seems to me that a lot of I think the stereotype, if you're going to make a stereotype about what 
liberals and and uh, and and Trumpins. I'm going to just say Trumpers want uh, Trumpettes want to uh, what their goals are in any conversation is that one wants the other person to change, and the other one just wants to defeat them. I don't think someone on the Trump side gives a shit if the liberal comes around to his point of view. I've never seen I, that put forth. I think most liberals don't believe a Trumper will ever come around to their point of view. I mean, I think I, and yeah. I think that cuts both ways. It certainly does now, but and certainly with Chris's behavior in the movie, uh, bringing it back around, he's certainly like you feel like that's what if he if you asked him he would say I want them to you know have healthier viewpoints, but that's not how he behaves. <laughs> yeah. Um. But all in all, are you glad you saw this movie? I know it triggered a lot for you too. But are you? Are you, how? How do you? I, I have to confess. I, I saw on Letterboxd that you had given it four stars. Yeah, OUP. But, but not favored it. I was on there for something else, and I happened to see it. So I've been so. wondering if I should not put my rating on. Probably there not. But it made recorded. me feel good because it made me go like, okay, all right. I'm not. I, I don't gotta. Uh, I, I feel. I feel okay about it because I was nervous. I wasn't sure. I thought it was a good movie. Uh, Of any movie I've seen in the last four years, I think this is the one that does the best job of speaking to the moment we're in. I can't think of another one that really comes close. To think that this was written before is just nuts. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the more it goes into thriller territory, like in the second half of the movie, the less successful i think it is in execution i love the conception and i thought for about three quarters of it i thought the execution was really sharp i thought it was really good i thought it was a that was a good movie um and even though i spent most of the movie thinking it was Catherine keener <laughs> i think nora dunn is sort of the <laughs> secret hero of this movie <laughs> <laughs> because you know, I, I talk about like being the cork bobbing along on yeah. the tsunami of history and how I feel like that a lot. Like uh, I, th- I reread Candide recently because uh. I felt I, I just felt like I was feeling like Candide. I was like, you know, this is, this world sucks. Like, <laughs> uh, what are we supposed to do? And I keep thinking of the end of Candide. Like, well, we'll just tend to our garden. You know, just mm. just take care of the stuff around you because. That's sometimes that's just all you can do, mm. and it's important to keep doing that. And just the fact that, like, her only concern is making sure people are fed, and the fact that she comes back, like, you know, take the kids out of the house. Right. There's blood <laughs> happening. Like, bad things are happening. Okay, what can they watch? What can they eat? Like, literally, feed them anything they, they want. They can have anything right? they want. Just yeah. keep them out. And then she comes back because, like, I had to get some pie. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like she's yeah. she has she's elevating. It's comical because she's elevating that to like the same level of tension as a, a, you know a possible abduction, yeah, and murder uh, uh, in in the home. And she's rewarded but, by seeing her daughter's face sprayed with blood. <laughs> it's <laughs> fucking terrible. But I think she's also right that yeah. like it's it's important to make sure people are fed. Yeah, you, you yeah. know, like <laughs> and. Uh, on on one sense it's like 
living your privilege, but another is just like a very human thing. Like everybody needs to eat, mm-hmm. right? And like that is the most basic way there is to just connect with another human being is literally to break bread with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's and great. When you, when you don't even allow yourself to do that, then that's where these yeah. separations become very deep and ingrained. Yeah. And so just like the, the fact of coming together for a feast with people whose views you sometimes find repugnant, it's still an important thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And she never gets a moment to like, you know, she doesn't have a speechified moment or anything like that. His dad, on the other hand, does. Now, I, I want to do want to talk, even though we're wrapping up, I want to talk about this scene a little bit. Um, the scene where he, the, the, his dad, Chris's dad, pulls him out to the poolside mm-hmm. and says his piece about, I did whatever I could to protect my family. You have to do whatever you can to protect your family. Basically yeah. setting him up to say, I, if you feel like you need to kill this guy, you should do it. Right. And right. I don't want to impose anything on the end of this movie as to like who called in the initial complaint. I, I think it's better that we don't know. And I think because it's better and it's better that Chris doesn't know and that he doesn't want to know. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. However, I don't think this scene plays as well if it wasn't the dad that called it in. I, I think the dad called it in. That's my secret. That's my what's in the briefcase kind of thing. Where okay. if I had to guess, I would say, because that scene plays so much better if you look at it from he called it in. If you're doing the clue ending, that's yeah. the one you're going <laughs> to exactly. pick. That's the one I'm going to pick. Um, that being said, he has his introductory line is my favorite introductory line for any <laughs> parent in a movie. Broke the toilet paper roll out the wall. I'll fix it. I, no, I think he's, I fixed it for it. Yeah. He, where he just looks over and, and, and like, hi, dad, how you doing? Toilet paper rolls broke off the wall. I fixed it. <laughs> the best. That's the perfect, the perfect introductory line. <laughs> what do you think? Do, do, do you even want to muse about that? Or do you think it's not oh, worth who it? Who called it in? Yeah. I mean, it's just speculation. Yeah, it's total I, I don't speculation. Don't, they don't really give you any hints either. I think that's a good read that if anything is telegraphing it, it's that scene. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be any of them. It doesn't. It could be, it could be the guy at work. The, yeah. It could be the, the neighbor. Because he, yeah, because yeah. actually the guy at work was the only person that said, that he said, don't do this to, or like, how could you, or whatever. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just don't know. I mean, they know who didn't sign the pledge. It could be just they're going to everybody who didn't sign. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and he's obviously very vocal about it. You know, you can't deny that he's been saying this thing is bullshit. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple, uh, I, I would like to run down a couple of, like, I just a, like funny moments just to end on something funny. Okay. Because I, I enjoyed this discussion. I hope you did too. Because as, as uncomfortable as it is, I, I really appreciated being able to talk about this yeah. stuff with you. Oh, me too. This was a good choice. Um, good. Because I knew it was also going to be a hard watch <laughs> for being a comedy, you know. Um, I, so just go to the toilet paper roll. They have, the, when, when his friend comes in at work 
and says, I mean, things are getting crazy. Paige's cousin from Philly, her boyfriend, his brother arranged a rally and they just came and took him. And then Chris goes, what? Is this verified? <laughs> Which is interesting because a lot of us are all like, that's the question we all have to ask ourselves is where is this, is this information verified? But like to say that to someone's face is insulting. <laughs> Even if what he said was actually kind of ridiculous. <laughs> you can see, like, I mean, it's just, it's not firsthand. I just, you kind of, you know, that really makes him insufferable. <laughs> Even if he's correct, it's still, yeah. Right. Um, the scenes with the, the driver and the knife and the old man in the restaurant are just terrifying. I can't, uh, I can't, oh, I yeah. can't handle that. Um, not going to let him change who we are. The, the fact that the CPU is rumored to have taken Seth Rogen. <laughs> That was a nice pull. Um, I did. It's cheap joke, but I really did love. I really laughed really hard at the. Uh, where did you read this? Fat ass patriot sixty nine. Oh, in the great tradition of Murrow, Cronkite, and fat ass patriot sixty nine. He's verified. He's a verified idiot. <laughs> I laughed, but not as hard as I laughed when the CPU come in and Abby offers them water, and Alice is like, Abby, no. <laughs> I also really again that's words I don't like but I really laughed hard it was a nice moment of levity where he's like saying you know Abby called it in I mean I know we don't like to use this word I'm a feminist but she's a causing the C word it's like no you do not get to use that word in this house you can use pussy or trash pussy but that's fine okay she's a trash that's fine that's right she's a trash pussy <laughs> 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 Tiffany Haddish really killed me on that that was really funny uh, Billy Magnuson's amazing. Um, terrifying. Uh, yeah, just utterly terrifying. Um, I love how every action is full of derision and principle at the same time. Um, oh, when when he when uh, he hits uh, Mason and Mason is kind of and and uh, Chris picks up the gun and is holding it and Mason is like really severely disoriented and wobbling around. And he says in this really, because you're just like going, oh my God, this has gone so far. What's going to happen? There was a moment that was both so real and also so hilarious when he says, when when Chris is yelling, um, oh, you sit down. Don't come any closer. Oh, oh, his head's all fucked up. It's black. Why is it black? <laughs> <laughs> Because it is terrifying because when that blood's coming out and it's like not what you would think blood would be colored. And yeah. it's like, oh, it's black. Why is it black? That was both real and hilarious to me, I thought. I laughed really hard when after the really clumsy business with the taser, tasing Kai. And Pat standing there and, and I'm sorry. And Abby yeah. goes, oh, you are so dumb. I'm just realizing this now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh gosh, yeah, that that slapstick didn't really no, work. it didn't work. But that was so funny. I forgot. I forgot to say my favorite line in the whole movie. My favorite, my favorite moment was the speed bump. My favorite line and line reading of all was was at the moment where he's about to kill Bill Mason, and everyone's screaming. Everyone's screaming, "Do it!" And then Clark, who we haven't even mentioned yet, Clark appears at the door and just goes, "Hey." Stop! <laughs> it's my favorite line reading. It's just 
is, I think that made my favorite line of the year. Was that's just the stop. Theme of the movie. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, I think that's the theme of the movie. Right. If you look for the one line, it's like, stop. You know, turn on the whatever, TV. Uh, screenwriting instructor in college always said there should be one line, a dialogue that's the theme of your movie, yeah. and that's it. That's it. <laughs> stop. <laughs> it's J J Duplass is uh, is just it was just perfect. Um. I was terrified when he, right when he was about to shoot Mason and, and was telling him to close his eyes. Like, you gotta close your eyes. <laughs> um, oh, the old uh, news, the newscaster in this movie um, who announces that president, the president's stepping down and Vice President Hogan's going to take over is, uh, I w- is Josh Myers, um, who I went to, um, uh, I was in acting class with at Northwestern. He's uh, Seth Meyers' brother, and he was in my acting class. So I was just like, oh, hey, Josh. Nice to see you. Uh, (laughs) Mason is standing outside the the hospital with John Cho, and they're about to hobble off to the emergency room, and he just turns to him and says, to Chris, and says, you have a lovely family. Oh, oh, that killed me. Uh, but yeah, I think it's yeah. That's that's all I got. That's my little observation list. So, do you have anything you've been uh, any recommend anything you've been watching lately? Would you first? Would you recommend the oath? Yes. Um, I mean, I've said I've said. Oh. You're, I, I guess I need to say it no. more emphatically. I thought it was a good movie. <laughs> but w- that's that's not the same question. Would you recommend it? Oh yeah, no, definitely. Because um, there's like movies yeah, that I you think have are to, great, and you I know, would. <laughs> it's a ride. You, you have to. You got to have the nerve for it. Yeah. Um, you ever read the news? Like it's going to give you that feeling, right? Except uh, a little more. You are there. Do Do you th- Do you think it would be? Do you think it's a movie that would change anyone's mind? About how to behave around other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess I meant political. But I guess I meant would it change anybody's political standing? I think. No, I don't nothing, think so. Nothing I, will. I don't think there's anything that will right now. No. You know, um, this is not the country we live in. Nope. Um. So, other recommendations? Do you have anything else you've been watching or seeing this week that? Uh, I have not been watching a lot. I'm watching The Vow, um, which when I'm discussing the oath with Seymour, there's about a 50-50 chance we will get the title wrong because we watched The Oath together and we're watching The Vow together. That's the documentary on HBO mm-hmm. about uh, Nixium, the Nixium cult. That's pretty... It started out like being really interesting, and now it feels like they're really padding it. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm still. I think we've had four episodes so far, and you know, we've had about two and a half episodes worth of material. It feels like so. But I still, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it. Oh, I watched To Be or Not to Be with uh, Jack Benny yeah. and Carol Lombard, uh, 1942. I'd never seen that before. I love that movie. That's a great one. That. That's an interesting one. I um, I thought the first half hour was like amazing, and then it steadily enjoyed it less and less, like scene by scene. I, I uh, don't think I would. End. I don't think I would contest that um, if I memory serves. 
still good overall. And then I did see Mikey and Nikki, which I think merits a longer conversation than we're going to give it here. Yeah, I think so too. So I'm not going to get into that. Um, yeah, I have a feeling that might be a Wade pick for an episode one of these days. And then Joe versus the Volcano, which I'd never seen before. And I loved it. That was, what a great movie. Mm. Had you seen but, it before? Uh, I'd never seen it. Oh, really? As much as I, one of the few Tom Hanks movies I haven't seen. Um, Meg Ryan, comedic powerhouse in that movie. <laughs> that's right. She pulls a Rick Moranis, yeah, doesn't she? <laughs> I don't know why that's, she's not more, um, I don't know why that doesn't come up more as like, like her career highlight. Yeah, it was it was it was deemed such an odd film when it came out that I remember when I it saw is. it, I didn't. Oh, it's still an odd film. I didn't really. Um, I don't think I got it. I think I saw it very young, and I was still grained on expectations of what I thought comedies were and what I thought movies were. And I took that later, and I went, you know what? I think that's worth revisiting. And I went and revisited it again, and I liked it a lot better. But I still had a something with it and that was had to have been 10 or 15 years ago so i would love to revisit that again i yeah i think it's kind of a flawed masterpiece it's such a weird yes. movie but i lovely i really um i just find it very life affirming and yeah. uh i i wish i'd seen it at the time it really is really close to the kind of movie i would have liked to have tried to make if i ever dedicated myself to making a movie which <laughs> isn't happening anytime soon but i i um um flawed masterpiece is really a great way to put that i i always thought big ryan when I, when I saw it even the first time i was like yeah she's fantastic in this i know abe vagoda took the spotlight a little bit from that but she really deserved more of that <laughs> oh attention. yeah she, no she's the she's like the heavyweight of that movie tom, i mean tom hanks is great i I like the whole thing. Uh, is, I really is that John? Did John Patrick Shanley? Is that his? Did he write? In John, yeah, John Patrick yeah, Shanley. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great chip, Joe. A great, great bit. How about you? Um, you I'm trying to. I, I feel like I wrote stuff down and I I don't remember now. I um I finished Black Monday, which was a, a, a really fun. Highly recommend it. Um, I did see a couple of movies. I forced myself to because uh, to make the time. Uh, I saw a bloody nose, empty pockets. Really good. It's the. Uh, it's basically the 24 hours in this bar on its last day before it closes, and it's all the locals who f have found their community there, and what um, the un the unhealthy dependence they have on it, and the healthy dependence they have they made around it, and it's really it's really something. It's. It kind of just is what it is, but it's really pretty phenomenal. Um, I also watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix, which is terrifying. Didn't think they needed... It would be more terrifying if it and, and, and resonant if they didn't have those reenactments that they didn't really need. Uh, but worth a watch. And I also watched a movie called Lucky Grandma just the other day. <laughs> um, which could have been... Me. I have to go back and watch Logan's Lucky. Oh, Lucky Logan. Logan Lucky? Or Lucky? Yeah, which one is it? I can't remember. <laughs> one or the other. Yeah, that was. I thought Daniel Craig was really funny in that. And so was everybody else. So, uh, oh yeah, so enjoyed Lucky Grandma quite a bit. It was f fun. Um, actually, though, I also saw, I finished the series on Apple Plus, uh, Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet. Do you know what I'm mm -hmm. talking about? 
No idea. So one of the guys from uh, Rob McLaney from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he created the show along with Charlie Day, who's not in it, but um, he created the show about the uh, uh, about an online gaming a business running an online gaming platform, an online gaming game of Mythic Quest, and he's this egotistical like guy who's running it and the programmers and everything, and it's. It's actually really funny and really well done. In the beginning, the first couple episodes, you're like, eh, I don't really see this being something very appealing. And then it gets really good. Hmm. So much so, it's nine episodes. And so much so, they did, there's one episode, though, right in the middle. It's episode five. It's called A Dark, Quiet Death. They just do, to the point where we thought we were watching and we clicked on the wrong series. They just did a standalone episode right in the middle about, about, Something else entirely different. And it's a one of the most beautiful half hours I've ever seen about a, a, a relationship that falls apart. And it's it's just it's just something to behold. It's so wonderful. And it was it 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 just for some reason they just stopped and they just did this one episode on um uh a relationship between Jake Johnson and Palm Springs' own Christine Miliote, Miliote <laughs> who are both fantastic. And if you can just watch that if you don't, or anything, uh, and it's just great on its own. It's like, an amazing, it's like watching amazing stories. It's just one kind of standalone story. But the whole series is great. It's worth checking out. Um, and I got to get to watch First Cow. I haven't watched it yet. I don't know why I haven't yet. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but that's that's what I've been up to. And uh, well, we want to know what you've been up to, listeners. So please drop us a line. You can email us at youwatcheditwrong at happypanic.net or leave a post on our Facebook page, or you can tweet us at that Twitter thing. Just let us know you're not a Nazi or a bot by just being witty and human and humane, please. And if you wondered why everybody was getting upset about that grain that horses eat, <laughs> you watched it wrong. What? The oats. Right, but we... <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Okay, wait, let me see the <laughs> Mares eat oats, eat oats, eat oats. I thought this was a movie about Quakers. <laughs> Quakers with lisp. <laughs> hey. Uh...